Welcome back to Health Call Live, where health information is free and the stethoscope is never cold. We're here to answer your questions at 447-1190. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. And back to our conversation with urologist Dr. Jamin Brambat. We're talking about prostate issues. We've covered that uh, prostate enlargement is pretty common. Uh, How to spot it, what you can do about it. Some people have told us on the text line that they've had good success with Kegel-type exercises. Also getting a report that uh, surgeries in our area are backed up due to COVID and a shortage of anesthesiologists. So, can't independently confirm that, but I don't know. It's interesting. Wanted to share it with you. Hey, Dr. B, let's uh, let's talk a little more about um, prostate surgeries before we move on to cancer. Um, how, how if I am very concerned about preserving my sexual function, is there one of those procedures we talked about better than the other? Um, well, the rotor rotor, as we talked about, the TERP has about a 2-3% risk of erectile dysfunction. Um, but the procedures that we talked about that are minimally invasive, which is the resume, as well as the Urolift procedure, according to the studies that have come out, and they have about five-year data out now, the sexual side effects are non-existent, according to the studies. Um, I've probably seen less than 1%. I don't think it's zero, but it's, it's pretty much negligent. So those two, but not everyone's a candidate for those two procedures, uh, but those are the two procedures that should not have any sexual side effects for you in the long run. Sexual side effects is not just the difficulty with having an erection. It's actually what really bothers young men with some of the medications and the uh, rotor rooter is retrograde ejaculation, where when you're orgasming and your ejaculate's supposed to come out, move forward, it actually goes back into your bladder. So sexual dysfunction is not just difficulty with getting it up. It's actually that, uh, that ejaculate part two that bothers a lot of young men. So a lot of guys these days are, well, we've all heard about uh, testosterone supplementation. Um, should I be concerned about that as a cancer risk? So testosterone, I, I'm a big believer in hormone replacement um, in men, but done the right way based on evidence-based medicine. If it's done the right way and I get you to what your normal range should be, then I'm not really theoretically increasing your risk of any certain cancers. If that cancer comes about, it's probably luck of the draw or that was genetically you were prone to that thing. It's when we give super therapeutic doses, like where I'm shooting your testosterone up to 1,000 plus, um, that's when some of these risks of cancers come about. And that's not just the risk of cancers, but also the risk of blood, blood clots and heart issues come about is when you have these super, super high doses chronically in men. So to answer your question directly, it's a no. But it's also a maybe, but it all depends on how you're being replaced. Yeah, it has to be done with, with tight supervision, regular lab testing, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody who knows how to play the game. Um, let's talk a little more about prostate cancer. You know, the, the, the common belief is if I live long enough, I'm going to have prostate cancer. Is that true? Is it anything I should worry about? It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Like, I'm, I'm in my 40s. If I were to die today... Uh, and you were to check my prostate, there's a 20% chance you're going to find some cancer cells in me. If you're the age of 80 and we we just sample your prostate um, randomly, there's probably a 70-80% chance we're going to find cancer cells. And I said cancer cells. So they could be very microscopic or there could be something major. 
But most of us at that age, in our 70s and 80s and 90s, are going to die of something else, heart attacks, blood clots, other cancers. So absolutely, it's, it's an indolent cancer. and in most men, it's extremely slow growing. Most of us men will not know about it. My job as a urologist and the job of your primary care doctor and your job as a patient is to not just assume, not just assume that you're going to have that safe type of cancer that's just going to be in there because of age. We really still have to do the screening part because there's a good percentage of these cancers that are going to happen earlier and that are going to decrease your life expectancy. And the only way to kind of figure out whether it's you or your neighbor or someone else is by coming in and getting a history taken, an exam of your prostate, and getting a lab test done called the PSA. And then we kind of decide which way to go in terms of your screening. You know, the digital rectal exam, when, when my family physician puts on that rubber glove, really how effective is that at spotting cancer? It seems you have to be fairly advanced for it to be detected at that stage with that technique. You know, you know that's, that's the, uh, uh, my, my patients hate it when I put that glove on as well, but I, I still think it's an essential part. Now, the need for the rectal exam has kind of gone down significantly because some of our testing has gone a little more advanced, not just our lab testing like the PSA, but also imaging technology like MRI. Um, but I still think the exam is extremely important. I probably see one or two patients a month that the primary care doctor felt the prostate, they felt a nodule, and it turns out to be cancer. Hmm. So you may not catch all the abnormalities, but if there's like a nodule or an asymmetry, um, you know, then you get sent to us and we kind of check. It, it's important. It's, it's, it's like checking your heart for murmurs. I say it's like the urologist version of, you know, checking for bad things inside the prostate. It's not perfect because you could have cancers elsewhere within the prostate, but hey, it's, it's, it's one more thing we can do to, to screen you better for bad things in the future. So the prostate-specific antigen test is a blood test. It's looking for a particular protein that's a sign that something's going on in your prostate. But that's also could be lots of different things, not just cancer. So tell me how I understand what that PSA process is. When should I start having them? What do I watch for? How do you use them? PSA, as you mentioned, it's a simple blood test, um, and that number can be high because of cancer. It could be high because you just sat on your butt for too long. It could be high because you just went biking recently for many, many hours, and you know you put pressure on your prostate when you were sitting. It could be high because you recently just had a wild night of sex, and you ejaculated recently. So there's many different reasons it could be high. It could also be high because you have a big prostate, so you just have a lot of volume. It could be high because you have an infection or irritation. So there's many different reasons it could be high. So we don't just go based on one test. We, if it is high, high is relative. So for a 40-year-old, there's a certain number that we're comfortable with. When you're 60 or 80, there's certain numbers that we're comfortable with. So it's not just a one-time thing. We kind of try to look at different numbers and analyze, okay, when am I really, really nervous? When am I really, really scared? Um, but you're absolutely right. It can be high because of other reasons. And then it's my job and your job when you're in the office with me to kind of figure out, is this something to be scared about? And, um, or is this something that, you know, you're okay, let's just keep kind of screening routinely. 
Hey, I want to uh, keep you on here. Heather, we're going to scrap uh, segment four and just stay here with Dr. B, if you're cool with that, Dr. B, because I'd like to get more uh, folks from uh, the community to get involved with questions. So if you want to ask your question, go right ahead at 447-1190-800-333-1190 or shoot your text to 46862, and I will put your question in front of Dr. B as we talk about prostate health here on the Health Co. Live Radio Hour on WoWo. You're listening to Health Call Live, your regular Saturday morning appointment with healthcare professionals, where treatment is always painless and there's never a copay. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. And we're back with Dr. Jamin Brambat. He is a urologist. We're talking today about all things around prostate health. And Dr. B, uh, we have Steve on the line. He has a question for you. So, Steve, jump right on the program with us here. Yes, good morning. I was uh, diagnosed with a urinary tract infection back in January and was put on antibiotics and uh, it helped while I was on it. Then as soon as I got off, my urinary tract infection came back and I've had about four rounds of of antibiotics. We've tried different ones uh, since the end of January and uh, each time it's the same pattern. While I'm taking them, uh, all my symptoms go away, but as soon as I get off of them and and uh, uh, take a take a, a urinalysis test, then the infection shows up again. Could this be a, a prostate problem? Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry you're going through this. Now, just as a disclaimer, I can only give general advice. So specifically, what's going on with you, I, I can't really get into much detail. But no guy should be getting urinary tract infections, um, and that's because. Our urethras are longer, so it's hard for bugs from the outside world to get on the inside. So when men start getting infections, there usually is something weird or abnormal or something going on when it comes to your prostate, your bladder, or it could even be your kidneys. So this is when we would really recommend, if you're seeing your primary care doctor, go and see a urologist. Uh, because that's when we would do a full workup. And the workup is actually pretty straightforward. We would get some imaging of your kidneys, your urine tubes, and your bladder. Hey, are you, do you have stones? Or are you, like, back up somewhere? Do you have constipation? So we look at all these different things and scenarios, and then we would probably do an evaluation looking at, really, are you emptying your bladder? Uh, most men that I see that have recurrent urinary tract infections, when they're younger, it's usually... They have prostatitis or chronic inflammation of the prostate as they get older, it's because they're not emptying their bladder. So um, in this scenario, if it was you know, someone that I was seeing in the office, then I would really move forward with a more advanced workup if it hasn't been done yet. And are you using an ultrasound to take a look at the remaining urine? Yep, yep. We can, we can use um, a, we have these scanners in our office, we call them bladder scanners. And yes, we can use that um, to look at how much urine is in your bladder. Uh, we can also even put a catheter inside of you and check your urine residual that way. And I mentioned certain imaging tests will also help us look at what's in the bladder, but these imaging tests will also help us measure the size of your prostate um, and see how big it is and how much trouble it may be causing. Steve, I hope that helped you out. Do you have a urologist on the team or are you seeing your family practice guy? 
I, I have a uh, appointment with my urologist in a couple of weeks. It was scheduled long ago, but he was just uh, uh, really backed up. So, I, yeah, I will be seeing a, a urologist in a couple of weeks. Hope that no works. Pun in, no pun intended when you said backed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Hey, specialists, specialists like urologists, um, there is a supply-demand issue where there's just not enough of us. So if you do get an appointment, you know, take it, grab it. Um, and yes, sometimes you may have to wait. But listen, let me, let me tell you a little trick that's nothing to do with the conversation topic. Is you know, when you make your appointment, ask them very nicely, like, hey, is there a wait list I can get on? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes if you just walk into the office or, you know, uh, call back the next day, depending on what, what's going on, you may get a sooner appointment. So, But you're doing fine. There's no rush to this whole process. But uh, there are ways to kind of tips and tricks because there's always cancellations. Right. And you just never know. Someone else may pick up the phone and say, all right, let me overbook Dr. B today. Uh, no problem. I get you in quicker. Oh, that never happens, does it, Dr. B? <laughs> no. Hey, Steve, thanks for being part of the program. Really appreciate you being here. Got a text message here, Dr. B. What are the drugs finasteride? And there's another one here I've never heard of before. Tamas Solison? Mm-hmm. Yep. What are these drugs? What are they doing? So, so those are the drugs I mentioned earlier. So there's two classes of medications to help you kind of help your prostate issues. So tamsulosin is the generic name for Flomax. Okay. And that's the one that relaxes the muscle around your prostate. Then there's, you mentioned finasteride. Um, there's finasteride, dutasteride. Those are the generic names for medications that shrink your prostate. Uh, that shrinking part of that prostate can take anywhere from six months to a year. So we kind of decrease the size of the gland. So both those things are pretty much medications um, we can prescribe men uh, to help them with their prostate. And uh, the first one there, finasteride, has some issues around hair loss, as I recall. Is that right? Uh, not issues. Actually, finasteride in a low dose, like the one milligram dose is actually men actually take to maintain their hair that they have. Uh, what a lot of men don't know is whether it's in the one milligram dose or the five milligram dose, which we give for enlarged prostate, it can actually, you may get better hair and you may flow a little bit better from peeing standpoint, but one of the uh, most common side effects of that medication is decreased sexual drive, so low libido. So these medications, they may be good for one thing, but we really have to educate you as a guy on some of these side effects uh, that may potentially happen when you do when you get put on these medications. So I want to bounce back to cancer for a second here. So you, we talked about watching the PSA. You get an elevated PSA, time to take another look. If it comes down to a biopsy, um, that's pretty scary to me. I'm a big old sissy pants about that kind of stuff. <laughs> The biopsy is not that bad, uh, but nowadays we we really, you know, we don't just leave it up to the PSA. Most of us, if there's a question, if you have a PSA of like 100 plus, then, you know, you're going to get a biopsy. We're going to convince you into it because that, there's a very high chance you got bad cancer. But if it's kind of that questionable, so questionable zone, what I do now is get an MRI of the prostate. Uh, MRI of the prostate uh, has really changed the way we screen and evaluate for prostate cancer. So the MRI can really help me see hot spots in the prostate. The cool thing is if I do end up doing a biopsy, I can actually target those areas with these special machines. So 
before it was like randomly biopsying, like finding a needle in a haystack. But now I can actually really find areas of that haystack in the prostate that have lit up on the MRI and really perform a much better biopsy. Um, yes, the biopsy sucks. Uh, I, in my office, do the biopsy under sedation, so you, you don't remember much of what's going on or any of it. But there's others where, where, where they may get it done in an office setting. Um, but this is where you just have a conversation like, yo, I don't want to do it this way, doc. Can, we, can you put me to sleep? And most docs will say, okay, that's fine. But don't let the procedure part um, kind of be a barrier in you kind of finding out what's going on in, in detail on the inside because you're going to regret saying no to a 30-second or two-minute two procedure um, if that cancer spreads in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, prostate cancer tends to spread into the bone. And that's a very unpleasant experience to have. And Lee, let me tell you something. Even if we diagnose you with cancer, because uh, I don't have a lot of time to say this, but don't freak out. You may not need that surgery. And we heard earlier, oh, I'm leaking and I'm having erection issues. You know, most men now that I diagnose with prostate cancer, we actually do something called watchful waiting where we just kind of watch the cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing to be afraid of that. I mean, if I get that biopsy, I'm going to lose my ability to do a million things because I'm mean, leaking everywhere and no sex. No, that's not the case. That is not the case. Don't let those, those stigmas in your head kind of avoid you seeing me or getting certain procedures done for evaluation. So in, I know you're not an oncologist, but in terms of treating the prostate cancer, uh, we're, there are a lot of options out there today. And how often is a radical prostatectomy done where you're actually removing the gland? So you mentioned I'm not an oncologist, but most urologists do manage the cancer part when it comes to the prostate, the bladder, the kidneys. So we kind of are the oncologists or the cancer doctors. Now, sometimes you may need to see an oncologist, which is a medical doctor, but those are for advanced prostate cancer things. So how common are is a radical prostatectomy? Well, it's the most common procedure done for management of prostate cancer. The second most common is radiation therapy. But the exact numbers of those are ever shifting because now, as I mentioned, a lot of these cancers, we just, it can be something called watchful waiting if it's a low-grade cancer where we don't do any intervention. But there's thousands of robotic prostatectomies happening uh, where we actually remove the prostate um, on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, just real quickly here, describe that whole robotic procedure. I, people, I think, misunderstand there is not a robot doing the surgery. How are you using the robot? What does it do for you? Yeah, uh, some of my patients think that I just press a button and it does everything and I just sit there and uh, check my stocks. No, that's not the case. <laughs> uh, the robot is pretty much a tool. Uh, I would say some of it's marketing and hype. But the reality is that the robot does make surgery a lot more precise, a lot more effective, a lot less bleeding, and the healing and the recovery is a lot quicker. 95 or 96% of prostate removals are not done with the robot. It's just a tool. Just think of the robot as the scissors that I have in my hand and the forceps I have in my hand um, and as having like really good magnification. So I have like really cool glasses on. So it's pretty much doing everything I tell it to do, but it makes me better at doing it. So if I've had a little bit too much coffee in the morning, it's going to balance out my tremor. If I don't have a good assistant in, uh, next to me helping me, I don't need it because the robot has four arms that I can control. So it's really cool technology. But at the end of the day, the robot does not give you better outcomes. It's my skills and my experience that is going to give you better outcomes. 
Hey, we've got less than a minute left, but I want to leave it to you. So uh, what do you want to leave us with, Dr. B? I just want to let every guy know that, um, listen, if, if you have an issue or a problem, go get yourself checked. I want all the women listening. Uh, I want you to know that please, 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 please help get our guys uh, in to see their primary care doctors or the neurologists or whatever medical problem they're having. Um, because without you ladies helping us out, I don't think we're going to get to where we need to be in terms of life expectancy. So if you have a problem, go get yourself checked. If you notice a problem in someone that you love, that's a man, go drag them to the doctor's office. Women are the chief medical officer in almost every family. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Dr. B, thank you so much. Glad you have been with us today. Love to have you back in the future. You're always going to be welcome here. I've got a link to uh, Dr. B's website up on the Health Call Live Facebook page right now. And you can also go out to uh, YouTube and you can look for Dr. Jamin Brumbot and uh, you will be able to find him there. Hey, thanks again, Doc. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. All right, guys. Hey, next week we are back again with another live program, Health Call Live, right here on Wobo. You can also check us out on the podcast anytime you like. All the major services. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWo 1190 a.m. and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.